There is currently no statutory framework to assist where adults either cannot communicate decisions or are unable to make decisions for themselves, but all that is about to change. Last Tuesday, the Capacity Bill 2022 received its final reading in Legislative Council and returns to Keys this week for final approval. So why has it taken so long to introduce this legislation and what impact will it have? I'm joined on the programme by Health Minister Laurie Hooper MHK, Tanya August Hansen MLC and Rob Mercer MLC. Miss August Hansen moved the Capacity Bill in LegCo. Why is this bill so important? Um, essentially it's for people that lack capacity to, to make decisions for themselves so it places on a statutory footing fundamental principles that apply to decisions and act- actions that are taken um, under the Act. Um, so essentially um, when a person is said to lack capacity then an act done or a decision made on their behalf needs to be made in that person's best interests and if you've got the like the principles in the legislation um, is um, a section in the legislation that speaks specifically to those principles and then also the, the, the best interests those are the most important parts of that particular piece of legislation um, and um, so it includes um, sort of considering so far as is reasonably ascertainable their, their beliefs and their values and that informs the right course of action that, that sort of needed to be taken. It also includes sort of provisions on lasting powers of attorney. At the moment we have um, enduring powers of attorney that speaks to mainly financial um, um, matters whereas this includes the sort of health and social care provisions um, that somebody would, would wish to make in advance. Okay. Um I suppose the 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 obvious question, uh, maybe Minister, uh, you'd be the best uh, person to to an- answer this one, is uh, how is it that we've managed so far uh, to do without this sort of legislation? Because it does seem as though um, it is governing a, 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 an area of uh, of particular social need. Yeah, I think. For a long time, this has been kind of common law principles or things that are embedded in ethical practices that doctors will do as a matter of course. I think what this bill is trying to do is is place that on a much firmer footing, a statutory footing, so that everyone is absolutely black and white, absolutely clear as to what has to happen uh, when considering whether or not you can make a decision on behalf of somebody else. Because you know, don't forget what we're talking about here is where someone has doesn't have the capacity or the ability to make a decision themselves about their own care or about their own finances. And so that needs to have quite a robust framework around it to make sure that when people are making decisions on behalf of somebody else that those people are protected uh, from you know potential bad actors or people maybe not acting in, in the best interest of the individual that doesn't have capacity and, and so whilst we've had a, uh, a regime that has worked uh, you know for broad definitions of the word worked it has worked on the island for a long time uh, this is really intended to take this into the next stage of making it much more robust and the reason that I think it's necessary the reason this has come about in terms of timing is there's a lot of other legislation coming down the line that I think need to have this on a statutory footing so that the other pieces other pieces of legislation can come forward so at the moment tanya i mean if if someone uh, is and it usually is a case where someone's approaching the end of their life um and uh, you know, their the, the capacity is starting to wane um their capacity to make decisions on their behalf um if, what what what's actually changed through this or what will change through this legislation when it's enacted um, that will give um, uh, the the persons affected uh, more reassurance? 
Um, the the main thing I think with the particularly with the lasting powers of attorney is the fact that they're able now to sort of start looking at um, their own health care and um, their social care provisions and and what they would like to see happen in, in the future should they not have capacity. Um, should they not be able to take decisions in their own best interests um, and um, you know in, in sort of deciding who best um, would uh, support them in doing that um, I think that that's it's very very empowering for people um, I think that that there's something that's been missing in in our on our statute book um, and I have had sort of um, cases um, which I won't go into the detail of but cases of individuals that, that I've talked to in relation to um, capacity and how it's kind of rolling out at the moment and um, that would be directly affected by being able to, to make those provisions um, and their lives would be far easier if they could do so. And, and Rob, I mean, you, you've taken a, a, well, apparently taken a great interest in this because uh, you moved a whole series of um amendments yeah. in uh, the uh, I think it was uh, the, the 22nd of November sitting what, what's your particular interest in this? Uh, firstly I must say that most of those amendments were government amendments um, and they're a response to some of the points that were raised in Key's uh, questions outstanding really from Key's uh, particularly from uh, Minister Thomas um, some of those are technical amendments um, you know, the correction of a, of a mistake in, in language. Um, so really, my interest in it is to to make the bill, um, you know, as 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 good a starting point as it can be. Okay, and 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 well, let's have a look at some of the amendments. Department must make regulations in respect of a register of delegates. Um, so that was an amendment to clause twenty eight. Are these not the sorts of things that you'd have expected? The, the the department who have uh, picked up on um, in in the before it actually got to uh, the legislative council, yeah, minister. So uh, this is quite a common one actually uh, that you see. So quite often when you go in with a piece of legislation, you'll have uh, the department may do something, and the expectation is the department will, uh, but you don't want to place an absolute obligation on the department to do a certain thing because of the, the costs involved sometimes, or just because it may be that it happens further down the line, and you may want to bring the provisions in and, and not be forced through a timescale that doesn't quite work for you. Inevitably, though, when it hits the floor. Uh, I think there's a bit of nervousness amongst members about saying, right, if it says may, are you really going to do it? And so sometimes you end up with people saying, actually, this needs to say you must, you shall do these things rather than leaving it open-ended. So I think there are, sometimes it is just about nuancing the language. It's about getting that confirmation, I think, that gives Timwald the confidence that when the department says we are going to do something, okay, well, if you're going to do it anyway, it may as well say must, there's no harm. Uh, and that that's uh, that moment happens quite a lot. You'll have seen that yourself in your own time uh, in the Keys. It's not an uncommon thing to change that kind of language to make it a bit more firm, I think. So why, why I mean, why... Why do you have to have this register? Why, why would it not be just possible to leave it as a may? Because presumably, uh, from, from what I can see, that, that there's a, a formal process that has to be undergone for someone to be appointed to act on behalf of, of someone who loses capacity. Um, so that formal process is going to be recorded somewhere. Um, so why do you need to have the register? I suppose that the logic is you need to have all the information in one place. So in terms of lasting powers of attorney, actually having a central register where anybody who needs to know can know whether you do indeed have uh, the right to make decisions on behalf of somebody else and have that stored in a central way where actually even you yourself 
someone may have made a, a lasting prayer about you that you may not have been aware of, and that, that shouldn't happen now under the new bill because actually it needs to be registered, it needs to go through that formal process. Uh, the must-may thing is about the regulation-making power that sits underneath it, so the department may have said actually we may need regulations to talk about how the register is going to work in practice, how things will actually happen on the ground, uh, and again that's where Tim Woodward, obviously in this instance there was pushback where Tim Woodward members were saying actually we, we need you to make those regulations, uh, and in some ways it's easier for the department just to accept that change rather than either fight, fight it, which may have been be unnecessary seeing as the department was going to do it anyway, or sometimes if the department pushes back and says, well, I'm not making regulations, Timwell members may decide to try and insert more changes to the primary bill itself to, to get what it is they want. And so sometimes it's just an element of it's easier to compromise on the ones where you can happily compromise on something like that, which is a, a, a terminology change rather than a big fundamental change in policy. Sometimes it's just good to find consensus um, and in finding consensus you find a really sensible solution actually that suits everybody and is probably the solution you should have come to in the first instance but it's taken you a little while to get there. Um, this kind of makes it, it makes perfect sense and this is what the branches are, are here to do is to sort of like make sure that the engineering is correct in the legislation and um, for keys you know to, to bring something up that they find concerning um, in terms of policy I think it's very very important the Legislative Council do then try and pick those things things up and, and have a look at them um, and potentially um, suggest amendments alongside the department. One of the other amendments uh, that you moved, Rob, um, was in relation to allowing the department to charge in, in respect of the functions under Section 29. Well, when I had to look through um, the Section 29 or Clause 29, as I would prefer to call it, uh, this was things like supervising delegates appointed by the court, ensuring delegates act in compliance with the bill, dealing with representations which include complaints uh, about how a delegate or donee is acting. Um, so potentially the department can charge um, for someone who wishes to make a complaint about some, someone acting on behalf of, of someone who's lost the capacity to make their own decisions. Uh, and that charge may uh, result in the person being unwilling to actually make the complaint because they can't afford to make the complaint. Is that something that's been considered uh, and how, how are these charges likely to be made? Um, I must say that obviously I don't speak for the department so I'm going I'm to defer part of that answer to, uh, to the minister on my left here. Um, but the amendment uh, to make charges is restricted to those supervisory functions and so you know it seemed a sensible restriction uh, to me in, in terms of its operation I think I will defer the, the rest of that question. And uh, Well Minister then I mean I have in a different sector uh, governed by your department um, had experience of charges which basically have put some um, operators uh, out of business because they, they, they just too, too onerous and uh, too difficult. So, so it, it, how can we, the public, be assured that this bill, which ostensibly is there to to, to help, uh, isn't going to be just seen as uh, you know the, the department turning around and saying, well, we can't afford to do this, so we're going to whack a whole load of charges on to so for people the, to access the the, the, the core the principle of any regulatory system is that really the cost should be borne by those who are being regulated. So that's the way our financial services sector is supposed to work. It's the way the GSC is supposed to work. It's the way 
all of our regulators. And, and I could understand work. that for businesses, but but I mean, these are people who are probably going through some in- extraordinarily difficult times. So this, this and, and you're going to charge them. So for this that. bill, this this section talks about the supervisory functions, about the actions of delegates. So the delegates themselves, not the individuals who have lost capacity. I, I think it would be quite unusual for the department to charge for things like making a complaint. That that would be a, a very strange decision to make. Uh, but I can see when the department is required to do things like receive security. So if the court instructs that the department must receive security, actually that's an imposition on the department by the court. I can understand why if you have to go through formal court processes, if you have to register things, then actually if there is a cost that the department is is then bearing, I think it does make sense to say there would maybe have to be a charge for things like that. Because don't forget, the functions of the Department of Health and Social Care are not limited to simply regulating this bill. Uh, the actions of this bill is also about running the whole health service. And so if you don't find a reasonable balance, you're going to end up saying, well, actually, because I have to perform these functions, which, talking back to the may and must argument, the department must do these things, uh, where's the money going to come from to perform these functions as well as trying to, to balance that with the need to deliver on health care? I can't imagine the costs of this are going to be uh, such an extent that it's going to uh, actually have that kind of effect. Uh, but I think when you're making primary law, you have to put in the backstop that says, well, on the off chance we do need to do something, we've at least got the power to do it. So my understanding is I don't think there is a, any intention by the department to start introducing a raft of complex and burdensome charges on, on the public for things like like, uh, like this. But ultimately, I think it's better to have the power and not need it than turns out that you do need it and then you, you don't have it on the books. It seems, though, a little like the, cu- the counter argument to the one that you put uh, for the, uh, the moving uh, uh, shall to may for the the, the register uh, that you know this is the opposite way round you're, you're basically mm-hmm. sa- saying that we may be able to do this um, but but quite frankly why would you put it in I mean you've already described a number of the circumstances that are allowed for in this may provision as as being highly unlikely that the department would ever wish to charge. So why have you give, allowed yourself the provision? I, I, I'm not wholly convinced. And it's a shame because most of the bill uh, is, is there for really good purpose. So I, I think I've, I've tried to outline that. I think that, that you'd rather have the power that if in case you need it. So monitoring the compliance of some of this, I think, will be quite complex, especially in particular cases. Hanging off that clause as well, you, there's a power for the department to institute complex inquiries. And so if it turns out that the, the department has, say somebody makes a complaint, it causes a concern. Actually, if the department then has to undertake a significant piece of work to investigate something, actually, that's when you do start getting into that world of, of quite you know expensive uh, actions ultimately and again I think from my perspective you wouldn't want any kind of regime to put people off wanting to uh, be able to make uh, these kind of representations to be able to make complaints to register a lasting power whatever it is you'd want to make sure it's as accessible as it can be Uh, but ultimately I think it comes back to you'd much rather have the power and never need it uh, uh, rather than saying turning out a year later two years later actually uh, we really desperately need this ability and it isn't there and we have come across that in other acts uh, actually where it turns out the department has needed the power to do certain things and the power just simply doesn't exist Uh, and that I think is is quite a dangerous position to end up in Uh, this perhaps much lower priority than some of those other instances I'm referring to but I'd be quite nervous I think if we were creating something which hopefully this bill will will last uh, a very long time in its current form and so without having to come back and make changes in the future because of something that may happen in four or five years that we can't predict. 
So trust me, I'm the minister. Uh, seems to be the the, the, the uh, Ultimately, though, Phil, all of this stuff has to come back via Timwald. So when mm. you're making regulations, it mm. will require Timwald approval. And so the, this isn't the case where I think the department can sneakily apply a, a charge to individual sets of circumstances. Regulations made under these clauses will need Timwald approval. Yeah. And ultimately, that's your uh, common sense check and balance, if you will, that if you are doing something that is out of kilter with the public mood, something that is unreasonable, you'd expect, I would expect Timwald to say, hold on a second, to whoever the minister is at the time moving those regulations and say, nope, you're not doing this, go back and, and try again. Uh, and ultimately, that's your, your final safeguard on anything built into a, a, a may-make regulations but must-make regulations provision is is Timwald is, is the ultimate check there. Okay. Um, and, and Tanya, then, the uh, in, in your um, uh, speech in, in relation to the uh, the first stage of, of, of consideration in LegCo, uh, you mentioned that uh, a person's capacity must be assessed on a decision-by-decision basis rather than making uh, of blanket assumptions that a person cannot um, you know, make the decisions on their own behalf. Um, I mean, this, this sounds great if you happen to be a person of advancing years and, and concerned about potential powers that could be uh, gifted to uh, others to act on your behalf. Um, but it does potentially cause a problem here in, in relation to who who makes the assessment about who's who ha- whether a person has the capacity to make these decisions on their own behalf, and if, as certainly was the case in, in a personal example I had, it, it's the doctor. And we know that doctors are really struggling to manage to, 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 to fit time in with all, the, all their patients. If, if we have to keep going back uh, frequently to ask for new assessments of, 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 for every, every decision that's taken, um, that, that could be a, a little onerous. Or, or have I misunderstood that? I think every, um, every single situation that one person might find themselves in may be very, very different to the last. Um, I think that you've got, um, when we talk about decision by decision basis at the moment, those decisions that are in the best interest of an individual are already taken um, on a decision by decision basis where you will have a number of people, stakeholders, including medical and clinical professionals, um, around a table taking a decision on best interests um, regarding enduring power of attorney, say, for example. Um, I think that you know when we're talking about, say, for example, I'm sorry, I'm using the word example. And the, um, the, um, the, um, if you have advancements in technology or advancements in, in, in medication regarding a certain treatment, um, an individual um, it has specified that they want a, a certain type of treatment. Um, but say, for example, um, you have a look at that situation and you have, some, have a number of people around a table looking at the best interests for that individual and they are they have decided, well, you know, that's fine. This decision was made a while ago. Um, that person is now lost the capacity um, to be able to make the decision for themselves. Um, there still needs to be some degree of consideration to whatever um, treatment is now available that perhaps wouldn't have been um, a treatment available um, at the time that they had taken the decision in the um, LPA or lasting power of attorney. Um, so it may prompt another conversation, if you get what I mean. Um, and it would be um, perhaps a different conversation than, than perhaps in the same situation would have happened a year before or the year before that. Um, so I think that like when we're talking about decision on, on um, by decision basis, I think that, that that every situation is quite complex and you can't really, and the capacity of that individual may sort of 
ebb and flow change um, they may regain their capacity and then lose it again they may regain their capacity so you you don't know what you're going to be faced with until you're faced with it and therefore the the sort of round table on a, a best interest test and um, to sort of like go back to the fundamental principles and the best interest of that individual i think it's very very important that that we do do it exactly like that and and again i think later on you 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 talk about um defining what a person's best interests uh, as what being done in the bill. um well well i think you say uh, by by def- um the, the bill doesn't define best interests as it would be too prescriptive yeah. um, um but then but then degree. i suppose the 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 alternative side or the opposite side of that coin is uh, by not divide de- de- defining what a person's best interests are and uh, maybe you're being a bit too vague so um and and I, I think I don't know. Um, we need to leave it reasonably wide. I think I think that we do we do um, make some assumptions as to in the in the bill as to what um, best interest interest decisions are. Um, I don't think that we need to go too far into the specifics because again, I think that every single situation that every individual is different, every situation is different. So if we start digging down and making it more prescriptive, then essentially we're opening ourselves up to error. And it's the the, the perennial uh, difficulty that drafters and policymakers have when it comes to making legislation, whether it's too prescriptive or whether it's too vague, and, and <laughs> getting the balance is, is <laughs> yeah. never yeah. an easy thing to do. Yeah. One thing, though, that you're quite keen to have uh, prescribed uh, is um, references to where legislation may be uh, may have been. Uh, um, I was going to say pinched from. Um, where, uh, what, what, what's the what's your thinking behind that? So essentially, the motion in legislative council was um, regarding where a clause or where parts of a clause may have been derived from other legislation, regardless of where in the world that might um, it might have been derived from. Um, and we talked about um, whether or not it should include a note of relevant derivation along. Um, with with a sort of date reference as well so that we're able to timestamp that and then go back to whatever piece of legislation it's derived from and sort of figure out, okay, well, um, on that time and day over there, um, they they have since made these changes so that if we're updating a piece of legislation, we know what's happened in, in the place that that, that legislation is derived from um, and we can take those things into, into consideration. Um, essentially, a derivation is is like a signpost for um, the reader as to the origins of a provision. So, um, the research, I suppose, um, I think it's very very important for people to be able to 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 look and find um, and, and, and interpret and understand legislation. Um, and particularly when it's social legislation as well, for them to be able to pick up a piece of legislation and be able to know exactly. Um, a that it's accessible but b that you know that they're they're able to sort of navigate it well because again Um, that's that's what it's about yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm not sure how well um the most people i mean you you wouldn't expect the general public to have a an in-depth knowledge of how legislation is drafted because that's what you're paid for is to is to do that for us Um, but but in in relation to to this of course much or, or quite a lot of the legislation whilst it is uh, specific to the Isle of Man, it, it borrows clauses or sections from yes. from other other pieces of legislation. Um, sometimes, not always. Um, I think I think that there is an awful lot of of, of deriving um, in our legislation, whether it be in part or whether it be um, whole 
clauses sections um or you know if we've kind of like had a look at a piece of legislation and, and elsewhere so in scotland um victoria from you know where wherever we've had um and picked up a, a piece of statute and um, we thought to ourselves right okay well we want to do something like this policy wise or we want to it needs to be worded like that and um, that we should really be sort of referencing where we got those things from um I think I think that's quite important but um I think what's more important about that is is being able to sort of um signpost to whoever then picks it up be a policy officer be a drafter be a parliamentarian or actually a member of the public because i do think the legislation does need to be readable particularly when it's social legislation um if somebody wants to pick it up and read it and they have an interest in it then they should be able to do so um i think that they should have the opportunity to be able to understand where it's been adapted from That was Health Minister Laurie Hooper and MLC's Tanya August Hansen and Rob Mercer. I had the very difficult task last year of having to make decisions for my dying mother. This new legal framework will certainly assist in clarifying what can and can't be done and should give comfort to people of advancing years that their wishes will be delivered as far as possible. For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayu, thanks for listening.